Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Reiki Rays Global Healing Summit. My name is Yolanda, and today we're here to answer some of the questions that you all sent in, as well as I noticed that a lot of your questions actually are covered in the summit itself. So we will go through this. I will share with you some um, highlights from my personal experience and practice, and I will also let you know which um, interviews in the summit will go further and deeper into answering some of you all's questions as well. Uh, just so you know, I have been practicing Reiki for over 13 years now. I am I have been certified in Yasui Tibetan Reiki, um, Jikiden Reiki, Yasui Reiki Roho. I've studied several lineages. And again, I've been practicing for many years. So I will do my best to share with you what I've learned and again, refer you to some of the interviews. So the first up, we have a question from Patty. Patty says, I am a new Reiki practitioner. I received my training in person and I have been practicing regularly. I do feel warmth in my hands when giving Reiki. Some areas are a lot warmer than others. And once I had one hand that was cold and one hand that was warm. I also will feel sensations in my body, such as tingling. Sometimes I'll get an ache in different parts of my body as I'm giving Reiki. I'm not sure what this means. Okay, I'm going to stop right there for a moment because this is very common for a lot of practitioners. We have all of these different sensations and experiences and we're like, what <laughs> What does this mean? So there's a couple of different things here. One, um, I'm sure many of you are familiar with Biosyn. And in some um, lineages, you will learn what is called biosyn scanning. And the word biosyn um, loosely translates as disease or sick line. And so when we place our hands and we get different sensations such as warmth, cold, tingling, prickly kind of pins and needles, there are all types of sensations we will feel. And what those are reflecting are um, any imbalance that we may be sensing or noticing energetically speaking. So when the energy is flowing harmoniously through someone's body or a particular area of the body, you may just be in a, you know, that clear meditative state. Some people will see visuals and other things, but in terms of the sensation, we tend to feel those different sensations of warmth, cold, prickly, tingling, all of these things. Um, as an indication that there is some energetic imbalance. And what I have been taught from several of my teachers is that we just breathe and observe, allow um, Reiki itself to balance and harmonize that energy. So you're just sitting there as an observer, really, um, and allowing yourself to notice when that feeling, whatever that sensation is, it will start to dissipate, it will pass, and that can be a clear indication again that now the energy itself is more balanced and flowing in a more harmonized state. So um, let's see, you also mentioned sensations in the body, but I think you bring this up more as well. So let's go on with your question, Patty. Um, it was something that was discussed in my in-person Reiki training class. However, the instructor said that we may not really know what the sensations mean or exactly what they are. Energy is moving. So what I have been doing with my clients is I just share the different sensations that I experienced during the session, and I let them know that it doesn't necessarily mean anything. And I couldn't tell them what it means and that I'm simply sharing it with them in case it does mean something to them. So again, I would just say for your own sake and for other practitioners, a lot of what we're sensing is just the energy itself. And so what we are perceiving and picking up on is where energies may be stuck, stagnant, imbalanced. There is some um, disharmony or disruption in the flow of energy. Um, but again, we can also sense when energy is moving or flowing very harmoniously. Um so you go on to ask, what do these sensations mean and what is your interpretation? I would say this depends. This is a pretty big question, Patty. And there are various different um, points of view around this. And I want to say this really for all of the questions. 
no matter who you ask, you may get different um, opinions and interpretations around everything. And it's not just within the Reiki community. This is with any topic in the world. You're going to have various points of view. So I will say from the beginning, um, it's great to read some books, watch the interviews in the summit, um, ask these questions just as you are. But then when you apply in your own practice, just notice what feels more resonant, right, and true for you. And a lot of these things we can only translate and interpret through our personal experience. But what the sensations mean, again, can often be biosyn that you are detecting. In terms of interpretation, um, some lineages will say that very specific sensations mean very specific things. Um, there's also a school of thought where it really doesn't matter. I mean, it, you don't have to know what the sensation is as much as just allow Reiki to flow and allow it to facilitate the balancing, the harmonizing of that energy. Because really at the end of the day, when someone comes to us for a Reiki session, or even when we're doing self-Reiki, Reiki for ourselves, the overarching point is to find a sense of balance, harmony, calm, peace within our body, within our being, and to allow divine life force to flow through us in the most optimal state in the highest and best way. And so we don't necessarily have to know what it means, and we don't necessarily have to interpret it. With that said, there are some people who have um, very intuitive they're very intuitively insightful, we'll say. So some people may get messages and clear interpretations, but even if that's the case, you still don't necessarily have to share it with the client. So you mentioned that you may share the different sensations and then um, let them know that you don't know what it means. Honestly, again, you don't necessarily have to do that. And sometimes it'll cause more question and confusion for people if we tell them we did sense something, but we can't elaborate. So I think another good practice is sometimes after the session, just starting with asking what they felt. What was their experience? You know, um, really their own personal experience is more important than ours, you know, when we're holding space for another person. So you can also learn a lot through asking the person um, how they feel on the other side of the session, what their experience was, and what they share with you may give you some indication of what it was or have clearer understanding about what you um, sensed. All right. You also ask, what do you recommend or what do you personally do regarding the sensations during the session? I personally just observe. One of the things I will say when I first started with Reiki, I was trying really hard and I was really concerned with if it was working or not, or if I was doing the right thing. So with that, I was too much in my head. And because I was so focused on right or wrong, good or bad, it was a distraction. And if we really pay attention to the elements within the system of Reiki, it is directing us away from the noise and to be a clear, open, empty vessel allowing that divine intelligence to just move through us in the Reiki itself does the work, so to speak. We're just like a mediator. And with that, I I don't anymore <laughs> stress about um, what to do or even how to translate it as much as I trust that Reiki is going to do what it is meant to do and the highest and best for the person. So I literally approach sessions as if I'm just an observer. I prepare myself, clear my mind, just tune into the essence of Reiki within my own body and being first. And then when I lay my hands, I direct my mind, my attention to the person I'm holding space for. But then again, I'm just now in observation mode. I'm observing the sensations. I am observing how I feel guided to move and redirect my hands. I'm paying attention to any particular sensation of if I feel guided to like breathe more deeply or these sorts of things. 
And I'm also managing my own mind. So if my mind does start to stray or go off into question or all of these different things, I bring my awareness back into me, just breathing and focusing on the expression of Reiki overall. So I hope that that helps you, Patty. And it is a practice, but I think once we even recognize and identify we're so much in our head, and then we give ourselves the opportunity to redirect and just come from the space of like, what if the energy really is the one doing the work and I don't have to do anything, but be here as an observer, observing in that space of love as Reiki and divine intelligence expresses through me, the person, through the room, through the entire experience. It also takes a lot of pressure off. All right. You also ask, what do you share with your clients? What do you say to them? So again, I would go back to, I always ask people first what um, their experience was. So I will say in sessions, I tend to, before we go into it, I check in with what the person, like why they're there in the first place. Is it because of, you know, stress or something emotional? Is it because of physical pain? These types of things. I always check in with the person at first to see um, even what their intention is and why they're there. And then I always let clients know that they don't have to do anything in the session other than act like they're watching a movie, just being an observer of themselves, relaxing fully and totally on the breath. I tell them to um, let themselves melt into the table, just completely relax. And if they feel or see or sense anything, it's okay. They can share it with me when we're done with the session. So on the other side, the bulk of what I say and share is questioning what came up for them. Now, honestly, I am also someone who um, studied intuitive development because I started seeing, feeling, sensing so many things during Reiki sessions. And I became very curious, like it sounds like you are as well. And so I wanted to understand what it was I was perceiving. So I did um, take classes separate from Reiki to develop my intuition. I think a lot of people become more aware of their intuitive capability um, when practicing Reiki and when we're clearing and cleansing our own energetic channels. So I took classes to go deeper in my own understanding. And depending on my relationship with the client, I may or may not share with them what came up and what came through. But it's it's really more so based on the rapport that we have already. Yeah. But just keep in mind that Reiki sessions in themselves, um, it's not necessary that you have to give, you know, any feedback as much as check in with the person and let them know that, you know, energy will still be moving even beyond the session. They may personally have different insights that come up over the next few days and they may personally have different, you know, emotions or whatever. Their experience will be unique to them, but I give more emphasis on them being aware of their own experience and the unfolding for themselves in the days to come. So I wanted to share with you, Patty, there is um, an interview within the summit that may support you even further with this. The interview was with a Reiki teacher named Parita Shaw, and the name of the interview is The Road to Reiki Mastery, Building a Strong Self-Practice from the Ground Up. There are plenty of interviews in there that will help you, of course, but I think that one specifically may help you even more with your specific question. Okay, so we have a couple of questions from Estella. Estella said, when I go to a conference or meeting, I get to hear about techniques, the how-tos. But so far, Reiki Summit never touched on the technique, the how-to, and the result of. If panelists share Reiki work experience, research, founding, it would make an awesome experience for all of us coming to the summit. I would appreciate knowing about Reiki distance healing and treatments, does it work, why it works, any documented distant healing results. Research on Reiki healing would be a fascinating topic. How to prove Reiki worked. I hope the above topics will be in the summit. Well, good news for you, Estella. There are a few um, interviews this year from the summit that touch very specifically on the questions you have. 
including um, research and um, evidence around distant work. So I'm going to recommend two interviews for you to watch, and then I will share with you something else that um, I've encountered as well. So there is an interview with um, three people. (laughs) Uh, Their names are Rosemary Farrow, Anne Baldwin, and Natalie Dyer. The name of this interview is How a Compassionate Reiki Service is Delivering an Evidence Base for Distant Healing. There's also a bonus video within the collection. So if you, you know, purchase a ticket to the summit, there's bonuses that are included as well. And one of those is from a Reiki teacher named Franz Steiner, who is one of my teachers. And the name of the interview is The Way of Reiki from a Traditional Japanese Perspective. So I think that will um, answer a lot of your questions as well, give you some clarity and insight. In terms of, um, you know, if it works, how it works, and does it work? Again, there are people who are actually doing research and trying to get scientific-based evidence around Reiki at this time. And it's fascinating. It's exciting. And you'll hear about that in one of the interviews that I just recommended. Another thing I would say is there are some aspects to this work because it is within the spiritual realm. I think there are some aspects that even, you know, science may have a hard time proving or giving solid scientific evidence around, so to speak, um, because we just don't necessarily have the tools or the full-bodied understanding of our own functionality, let alone this work, to say anything um, really definitively. So people are working to do the best that they can to give the evidence of what actually happens during Reiki um, sessions. There are research foundations. I know if you go to the website of the International Center for Reiki Training. Um, They have uh, research that they have conducted and done. Um, And again, the interview I suggested, they talk about this as well. There are several uh, teachers and practitioners that touch on this throughout the summit this year. So again, I hope that helps you. But what I will say from personal experience as well, even beyond the scientific proof that we get, it is... Also, I think important that us as practitioners have trust in what it is that we're doing, trust and understanding. And even if we had a scientific report, we may have information, but that doesn't mean we would necessarily trust or understand as deep as we could through the process of our own practice and implementation. So When I first learned Reiki, I was fascinated by the idea of Nkaku or remote distant healing. And I live 3,000 miles away from my family. So I dove in on distant sessions. I um, did a lot of distant work at that time for my mother, who is brutally honest. And she was very intrigued by the fact at the time she was having back pain. And so she was able to really identify that when I did Reiki for her remotely, she really did have alleviation of pain in her back. So for her, that was the evidence, like her back was hurting. I did Reiki and then her back wasn't hurting. And for me, it also gave me direct experience and evidence of like, wow, this really works. So even though I didn't fully understand how it worked, I still, it gave me that um, openness of possibility because I received direct feedback and I was practicing. So I continued to practice, not just remotely, but even with hands-on healing. There's so much that you learn and may not be able to fully understand or prove to someone else, but you will understand and trust because of your personal experience and the feedback from those that you're holding space for or sharing Reiki with. So I always recommend on top of like, you know, the research and the books and all that we can learn and ingest that we still give a lot of emphasis to our own personal practice, experiment and see what your personal experience is. And what if it, I mean, I always tell people like, what if it is true? Because you had the experience, right? And so a lot of times we 
um, may try to discredit ourselves or minimize what we actually experienced because we don't understand it fully. And I have to say within this realm in general, there's a lot that we just may not fully understand or even be able to articulate, but let your experience also be part of what helps you to understand and give you proof. So I hope those two interviews that I shared um, will also help you. And then we're going to go on. We have a question from Danielle. Danielle says, there's a couple of scientific studies happening. Have these had any impact on Reiki becoming recognized by insurance companies? Is there any insurance that covers Reiki? And how did it become approved? Okay, Danielle, I will say so many of us are on the edge of the seat waiting for this to happen. And, you know, I think a lot of people are very hopeful around this possibility. One, because there are scientific studies happening. Um, There are people who are investing a lot of money. And there are even different foundations within our community that you can donate to, to support the research that they are doing to get the scientific evidence. In fact, um, I have two suggestions for you to watch that are available in the summit. One of them is by Natalie Dyer, and she talks about unlocking the mystery of Reiki, a scientific perspective. And then there is a bonus, um, and this is a bonus audio. It's like a podcast, but it features Dr. Feldman and Dr. Modell, and they talk about medical Reiki research, Reiki into the operating theater. Now, what I can tell you about Dr. Feldman is... um, One of my teachers, Raven Keys, who recently passed away, she worked very closely with Dr. Feldman, and she actually was able to do Reiki in the operating room, um, working with him um, in that manner. And uh, she has written a few books around this. If you look up Raven Keys, you can read her books about her experiences with working with doctors and working in, um, in the operating rooms. Uh, providing Reiki for the patients, uh, well, for the (laughs) entire room itself, really. Um, But what I was going to say about this is even she at the time and Dr. Feldman were working on Reiki research and they were taking donations. Um, I don't know if they still are, but you can look it up, of course, if you look up uh, Raven Key's Medical Reiki. But they were also um, very close, I know, right before the pandemic about to start uh, the research studies and trials. So I'm not sure where they are in that process, but you can look it up. And definitely, I'm sure you will get a lot of good information in the bonus audio, um, listening to Dr. Feldman and Dr. Modell talking about this. So hopefully that helps. And I'm sure once it is approved, we will all hear about it very loudly throughout the community and as far as insurance is concerned. All right. We have a question from Liliana. How can I stop feeling what other person feels while doing Reiki? I have done Reiki to someone in class and I got dizzy and wanted to throw up and almost fainted. And I sat down and this person says she had kidney stones. Then I did it to mom, which she passed away from Alzheimer's and I got sleepy and I have never, ever slept during the day. Thank you very much. Okay, Liliana, so this also is something that is commonly experienced with many practitioners. Many people talk about this from the lens of being um, an empath, and being an empath can um, manifest itself in various ways. So what I mean is, just by the nature of our design, we can sense the non-physical. We are able to Um, sense, perceive, and translate energy. Not only are we energetic beings, but we can feel and sense the energies that we are encountering at any given time. So the example I always like to give is, you know, for any of us, (laughs) whether we practice Reiki or not, we could be feeling completely fine. And then perhaps you walk into a room where two people had been arguing. And as soon as you walk in, you can feel the tension in the room. You can feel the essence of the energy that has been exchanged between these two people. Also, very commonly, we can be in a conversation with someone in our life and they can be saying 
that they are fine, they are okay, but we can feel and sense and see and perceive that perhaps there's something that they're hiding or they're really not okay. So again, just by design, we have the ability to perceive and translate the non-physical. We are able to perceive energy just as you know, tangible as what is physical, what we can physically touch and hold. But some people have more of a sensitivity to this than others, and the way that we perceive energy can be very different. So you may have heard of the clairs. A lot of people have heard of this, and what it points to is our non-physical sensory. So on a physical level, you know, we have the ability to see, to hear, to taste, to smell, to touch. Well, as it comes to energy, we have that same capability. So people who can see, it's called clairvoyant. People who can hear that what isn't um, projected by the voice or by sound, um, external, like (laughs) sound in the material form, those people are clairaudient and so on. But the point is, there are many of us that have... um, Uh, more of a sensitivity to perceiving energy in very specific ways. So it sounds like for you, you feel it as physical sensation. Now, what I will say about this is this is why I think Reiki points to us being full of um, (laughs) divine intelligence and cultivating that essence of Reiki within our own bodies and beings not just for the sake of our own healing and purifying our own um, energy, emotions, mind channels, which the Reiki symbols point to, especially the second symbol, but also the importance of being very grounded, rooted, anchored into our own body and being. So what this supports us with, um, Liliana, is if we are present in our own being first and we are in the practice of like, um, mm, I want to say breathing, divine intelligence, Reiki through our body and our being, if that's a consistent practice, we become more full of that intelligence, so to speak. So we become more clear, conscious channels, just even existing in our bodies, but we also have presence of mind. This is why meditation, I think, is such a huge um, gift to your practice, no matter what you're practicing, Reiki or anything else within this realm. But being connected to yourself and being anchored into body helps you to do this specific to what you just mentioned. It helps you to be aware of what you're sensing and feeling without taking it in as your own or without holding it as your own and without becoming afraid of the fact that you are sensing or feeling whatever it is that you may be sensing and feeling. So um, it's almost like if I am present and aware of what my energy feels like and what it's like to be in my own body, the minute I sense or feel anything else that's outside of my own processing, I can identify it and then I can choose to redirect my attention to me. And then what I do is I breathe back that awareness of Reiki itself, filling me so that that essence does then transmute and um, doesn't allow that what I'm sensing to expand and start to take over my own mind, body, consciousness, this, that, and the third. So I would say a practice of grounding and meditation can help you a lot with managing your own energy so that you are still able to perceive, but you don't necessarily have those energies overpower you or overtake you or make you feel um, in an extreme way. So <laughs> we could spend all day on that, but I hope that helps or gets you in the right direction. Um, you also mentioned that you did it to your mom and that she passed away with Alzheimer's and you got sleepy and you never slept during the day. So one of the interviews I would recommend that you watch, I think it'll be very helpful for you, is with Tina Zion. And what we discussed is eight underlying causes of illness, unique and unique Reiki intuitive healing methods. So Tina Zion is very well known for not only is she a Reiki teacher, but she is also a medical intuitive and she has authored several books. But the conversation that we had, I think, will give you some more clarity around your experience. 
Okay, thank you. And moving on to Claire. We have a question from Claire. Claire says, I had a dream with a clear message. I was guided to do Reiki on my deceased auntie's soul using Honsha Zeishonen to help heal a specific incident that happened in her life that left her traumatized. Is it possible to heal a loved one's soul once they have passed over? Okay, Claire, this is definitely one of those questions where you will have so many different um, perspectives and ideas around the answer. Um, So there's that. (laughs) But I did have a conversation um, during the summit. I was able to interview Ifateo White, who is such a lovely Reiki teacher, but she also is a Reiki doula. And she supports people and holds space for birth and end of life Reiki. So she is very familiar with holding space for people who are in the space of transition. Um, And we have a conversation around that. And I think that some of that may help you as well. But the truth of the matter is, again, there are varying um, points of view and thoughts and ideas around this in terms of working with um, people who have crossed over. From my experience, um, there are people such as, you know, mediums who very specifically work with people who have crossed over. And in those spaces, they may um, provide healing or hold an intention of healing for the person who has crossed over because of the, um, the, their ability to communicate with the person that has crossed over. Uh, But that I think anyone that is interested in those type of techniques, I think it's important to actually study very specifically those types of techniques because they have a whole nother layer of um, uh, training that I think is very important that isn't really talked about or touched on so much within the system of Reiki. So again, there are different ideas and thoughts around this. And I always say, like, whatever calls you in curiosity, the best thing you can do is to learn to study and then find out what resonates with you the most, what rings true for you. But yeah, hopefully the interview with Ifateo will give you some support and clarity as well. All right. So we have a question from Charlize. And Charlize said, I would be interested in inspiration talking points. In any marketing for someone who is preparing to go into Reiki practice full-time? Good question, Charlize. And again, one of those very common for us on the other side of training. So there are actually two interviews from the summit that I would recommend, I think will support you in your inquiry. One is with the other co-host, whose name is Heather McCutcheon. And she works with the Chicago Police Department. She actually facilitates um, volunteers with other practitioners, and they provide um, Reiki for the Chicago Police Department, which is fascinating. I mean, it's just phenomenal when you think about all of the different ways that people are sharing um, Reiki. But her interview is called Tis Better to Give Than to Receive, Highlights from a Decade of Reiki Outreach. And the reason I recommend her interview to you is because Heather is very familiar with how to put together, um, she even shares and provides tools to help practitioners put together um, a clear and concise way of offering Reiki in, um, you know, different communities. So even though the way that she's doing it is with the police department, you can learn from her, her approach, how she was able to get into that um, particular relationship. And um, she created the opportunity to be able to do this. So the ways that she does it and the ways that she explains how may also support you and give you some inspiration um, around how you can do the same with focus on whomever you would like to support. But the other interview I think that would help you is one with Andrea Kennedy. And Andrea talks about the ethics of profiting from Reiki, balancing healing and business. This is also a huge topic for practitioners. A lot of times there's a little tug of war of, you know, um, do we charge for sessions? How do we uh, create a business out of our practice and so on? So if that's what you would like to know more about, that interview will be very helpful as well. Okay. 
Let's go on. We have a question or questions from Pretty. I hope I said your name correctly. Um, Pretty says, I feel my flow of Reiki isn't there as I cannot feel it and didn't feel it ever. So I feel as if Reiki isn't there in my hands. Secondly, Reiki calling is so time consuming. So how can I call Reiki again and again during a day and then disconnect with Reiki? I'm so, so confused. Well, Pretty, I am very excited about this question because again, very common. I even mentioned when I first started, I had those moments of doubt and wondering if it even worked and so on. And I will say after my first attunements, uh, there was a period where I felt the presence of energy in my hands very prominently. But over time, it's like I um, acclimated to the sensation and I didn't just feel it so much randomly as much as I started to notice it when I was actually laying my hands on people. But in any case, um, <laughs> one of my teachers, and I'm going to recommend um, one of his interviews to you in a moment. One of my teachers uh, highlights this in his teachings, and I love it so much, and it really supported me in my work, is that he emphasizes that we don't turn Reiki on and off. We don't turn it on and off. This divine essence, this life force is alive and within you and all living things. And so it's not something we turn on and off as much as it is something that we bring our awareness to. And the more we go into the practices that are laid out within the system of Reiki, the more we are redirected again and again back into our own being. And in essence, we are directing our minds back to the presence of divine intelligence or Reiki that is already existing and expressing through you and as you in all ways. So it's not even just expressing through your hands. We tend to give a lot of attention to this because we lay our hands on people when we're doing Reiki um, sessions or we lay our hands on ourselves. But that's also a way of directing the mind in. The truth is the essence of Reiki divine intelligence is able to flow freely through your entire being at all times. It's just, again, sometimes you may have an awareness of it because you consciously direct your mind to it. And other times you're just not as aware of it because you're distracted by other things that you're giving your focus and attention to. And so that's why it can be very helpful to make time for our practice, just sitting, meditating, observing, laying hands, just being in a peaceful state. Because the more we start to give ourselves the space to even recognize the subtlety of life force, the more familiar um, it becomes, the more palpable it may become. And as I mentioned before, we all perceive energy differently. So you may be trying to force or get yourself to perceive it in a way that you expect you're supposed to, when in fact, you may be able to perceive the presence of energy and how it's expressed through you in other ways, not just through the hands. So first off, um, just chew on that idea, like what that would mean if you weren't turning Reiki on or off, but that it was just always present. And then it's just more of directing your mind and having an awareness, just breathing and even thinking about Reiki. It makes me think about a lot of practitioners will tell you sometimes if you just talk about Reiki or you just think about Reiki, all of a sudden they become aware of the sensation of Reiki. And again, it's not like a turning on or turning off. It's where and how we are directing the mind. So um, I hope that that helps you. <laughs> and the best thing to support in that is consistency in our practice and um these are the interviews that I would say can really help you go deeper with this. Hopefully, we'll give you some more insight. The first is with Mark Hosack, and we discuss the hidden uses of Reiki symbols. And that interview is called Beyond Healing, Expanding the Application of Reiki Symbols. And the reason I think this will help you is because Reiki symbols of themselves, in of themselves, they're not just symbols that you use in session as much as they reflect and mirror back the presence of Reiki in and as you. So I think this interview may really support you. We also have my teacher, Franz Steiner. He has an interview here um, called Getting the Most Out of the System of Reiki, 
using the Reiki mantras. Again, this is a practice that I think may really support you in having an experience that is more clearly understood and perhaps even more clearly felt and sensed by you. So I hope that that helps you, Pretty. And, you know, even beyond, there are so many gorgeous interviews and conversations that will point to exactly what your inquiry is. So we have a couple of more questions. Um, and uh, I don't have the names of who they came from, but I will try to go through these pretty quickly. But for all of this, I cannot tell you all how much juicy goodness was in the Share Summit. I mean, it is incredible, the research that is happening, um, the different aspects of Reiki that certain teachers and authors and uh, practitioners are focusing on, the different ways that people are using Reiki. There's a lot in here that will inspire you and also open your mind up to just the new possibility of how you may even be able to understand or work with energy in your own life and in your own practice. So our next question is for individuals who are seeking a job change that better aligns with their spiritual and healing path, what advice or Reiki wisdom can you offer to aid in this transformation? Oh, this again, so common. Um, actually, I will keep this really simple. <sighs> a lot of times we approach Reiki and any type of um, healing system as a way that we can support other people. The truth of the matter is Reiki is such a gift and coming into deeper relationship and healing of ourselves. That's the foundation. That's first and foremost. And the reason I'm putting emphasis on this for you is because it kind of relates to how I even got into this work and in this path. I went through a layoff and um, at the time I was really stressed and I started experiencing anxiety because I didn't want to go back into the um, same career, into finance. I, I just didn't want to do the same thing. And so um, an astrologer actually recommended that I have a Reiki session and that I learn meditation. Well, I signed up for a Reiki class and I signed up for a meditation class and I have been practicing both since. What happened was I started to become aware of you know, old stories and my own wounds and the way that I was seeing myself, my life, people, I started to have more of an understanding of how the way I was perceiving every layer of my life and my life experiencing and my life experience contributed to my emotion and my lack of vulnerability and all of these different things that really kept me outside of truly knowing myself and what I even really wanted or even what really mattered to me, because I had spent so much of my life doing what I thought I was supposed to do, which a lot of us do. And then we end up feeling unfulfilled and we're like, oh, what is my purpose? Right. It's the big question. So my point to this is that as we stay diligent in our practice, you may be surprised to find that you come to understand you and even what you feel called or drawn to with more clarity. And this doesn't necessarily happen overnight. So I would also say patience is key. So if you are seeking something that feels better aligned with you, I would say the key is first becoming aligned with ourselves. And then we start to have more of an experience in life that either like um, draws in new opportunities that feel more aligned or just again, just even having the clarity of our own mind, we can move forward with less question and just having more trust in what feels more um, in alignment and activating and exciting for us. So I think the Reiki wisdom is practice your practice and recognize the ways in which Reiki is helping you to heal and transform and what wisdom personal wisdom you gained from that. All right. Another question is, I consider myself a deeply sensitive person with a strong connection to the spiritual realm, but oftentimes the daily challenges shake my faith in Reiki. What steps can I take to restore my balance and maintain trust in Reiki and the divine? Wow. Big question. And I think, again, we often face this where 
We have our spirituality in a corner over here, and then we have real life in a whole nother container, and we're not seeing the relationship and the unification of the two. So what I would say in this is recognizing that your spiritual essence and Reiki itself is also present within the challenge. It's not just when we feel good and happy and joyful. No, Reiki is present. The divine is present. Essence energy is present through all that we may encounter. But how do we personally work with our own energy to help us move through the energies that we encounter in life? It's an inside job first and how we work with our own energy and management of our own mind and emotion starts to also impact how we engage with the outer world. So instead of thinking our difficulties and challenges are a mirroring that we're separate or not in alignment with spiritual or the divine or Reiki, we recognize it's still present, but we also have free will and choice. And so the biggest thing, again, is our own personal work and practice that will have an impact on how we experience um every aspect of life, really. I would also recommend um, for the summit, you can watch my interview. I was interviewed by Heather McCutcheon, and the name of the interview is Five Things That Every Reiki Practitioner Needs to Know. And I think that there are some tips in there that may support you with restoring your balance and reconnecting to the trust of Reiki and the divine. All right, next question. My family dynamic can be quite conflicted at times, and I often find myself feeling drained. How can I maintain healthy boundaries without completely disconnecting from my family members who may bring toxicity into my life? You know what's so interesting about this one is not only is it a common question and a common experience, but our sensitivity becomes heightened as we do energy work on ourselves. So A few questions back, I mentioned how um, we have ways of perceiving energy. Um, We have a way of perceiving and translating the non-physical. Well, this really does become more amplified as we become more clear, more um, balanced and harmonized. We become more aware of everything and everyone. But the key is how we translate what we become aware of. So while we may, you know, be around people and if we go into our judgment or criticism or think like, oh, I'm trying to be high energy and they feel low energy, remember your way of perceiving and the stories that you may be telling yourself are going to contribute to the experience of feeling more drained and more, you know, out of alignment and all of these things. So one, again, practice your practice. Um, You will learn a lot through maintaining and being in relationship with your own energy at the foundation. That includes understanding your own mind and perceptions. That includes understanding your own emotional triggers and how you even respond to those. So um, I would recommend the same thing I recommended to the other person, Um, really uh, practicing being grounded, becoming aware and familiar with you and your energy in deeper ways. Um, Be diligent in that practice. And then we start to recognize we can observe other people's energies, but it doesn't mean that we have to um, necessarily shut down and run away from everyone and everything around us. Now, the truth of the matter is you may come to a place, we all do, where we decide, and it's our personal choice, if we want to associate with certain people in our lives or not. But there are certain just life experiences where we can't, we can't hide away from everyone and everything. So again, if we strengthen our own energy and keep our own mind in the awareness of Reiki and the power of healing, the power of loving compassion, the power of transformation, we can be around other energies, so to speak, and not be in fear, but really recognize and have compassion for those that we may see are in their suffering. Because we know too what it's like to be in our suffering. We can also have compassion and understanding that they may be healing and what we're witnessing are people in their healing. Of course, we can have compassion. We also have had our moments of, you know, acting out of our awareness and alignment. So 
you know, it, it's again, I think there's a lot of work within the system of Reiki, working with and understanding the symbols, the Gokai, um, just the meditative aspect that helps a lot with our presence of mind, our understanding of energy, and gives us strength and confidence in knowing that we really have the ability to transmute and manage us, right? And it takes us out of like this desire of wanting to change everyone and everything around us, which is also another um, trap we can get caught in. So hopefully that helps. Um, Let's see. Next question. We only have a couple more. How do we strike a balance in nurturing our children's spiritual growth while ensuring they maintain relatable and not perceived as eccentric among peers? There are moments when my child mentions speaking with angels, and I want her to maintain that connection without feeling out of place. Okay, so interestingly, um, and thankfully, these conversations are becoming more normalized. Um, Of course, there are still spaces and places where they are seen as woo-woo and strange, but a lot of that is changing. It's one of those things where similar to ourselves, you know, it's about a child understanding that they can have confidence and trust in themselves without taking on the projections of everyone else. Now, of course, even as adults, that can be challenging for us to not be bothered by other people's projections and perceptions of us. So imagine, you know, for a child, you may not be able to avoid that being difficult. It's part of our learning and our growing. However, if the child has, you know, the tools and whatever it is, however you are raising them, you know, part of that comes with the trusting that that will support them in their own little unique path in their own way. Um, Yeah, I mean, I really think that's more of a personal choice in um, how to deal with that. You know, people I know who have very spiritually sensitive children, some of them, they do make sure to personally create a safe space for the child to have the conversations with them, like as the parent. And they also explain honestly that to the child that other people may not understand. So, you know, it's just a matter of um, one openness, but no matter what, whether the child expresses these experiences in the outer world or not, as long as you create the foundation and create a safe space where they can at the very least be very open and honest at home, I think that really would have supported all of us, right? Um, Yeah, but hopefully that helps. I would say there are a lot of teachers and practitioners out there that work very specifically with um, spiritually sensitive children. And, you know, mm, I don't recall if there are any discussions about that in the summit, but of course, if you go through the interviews, you can see if any are are in alignment with that or um, do some, there's a lot of books about this too, in fact, yeah. So I would say just um, do some research and take in as much information as you can around this specifically, just even around the topic of having you know, like a spiritually sensitive child, and then personally decide what feels resonant for you and how you want to work with that. All right. We also have how important is it to upgrade our Reiki energy through attunements? This also is one of those questions, all of these questions, like I mentioned in the beginning, it depends on who you ask. And so I always tell people, don't become too rigid in what is absolutely true and what is not. The best we can do is inform ourselves, gather information, learn from our teachers and see what really resonates as true for you. What I will say from the training that I have taken, there are some um, lineages that that offer um, Reiki attunements quite regularly. And it's not to upgrade our Reiki energy as much as it is to support the regulation of the flow of um, Reiki and divine intelligence. Because think of it this way, we may get an attunement and that initiates a lot of healing and transformation for us because where we may have had blocks or been stuck or stagnant, or there was... Um, energy that was just like lying dormant within our system, 
the attunement, it like activates and reinvigorates that flow of divine intelligence that was already present within us anyway. But as that happens and this higher frequency of energy starts moving through our system, there are some blocks, we'll say, that become undone and some, um, there's just this regulation of flow that starts to happen that may have not happened in us in quite in that way in quite some time, right? Because life happens. We have stress, worry, fears, doubts, all of these things that we encounter, and we hold on to all these energies and they cause what we consider energetic blocks or congestion. But that can be a congestion of mind, congestion of emotion. Literally, the physical body will respond and get tight in some places, right? So the attunement kind of like opens us up. It's like, you know, initiates a deep level, we'll say clearing and um, reactivating, reinvigorating a flow of a higher frequency of life force energy. And so even after our attunements, we experience, you know, what it's like to acclimate to that um, experience of energy movement and to the frequency of that energy. But then again, we're living our day-to-day lives. And so then again, you may get build up again, and maybe you're not consistent in your practice. Who knows what happens? But getting attuned again and again, um, a lot of people, again, recommend and do it frequently as a way of helping to maintain that balance, that flow, that regulation of energy in a more harmonized and balanced way, rather than waiting for like some deep congestion again. It kind of is, it reminds me of even in general, I always tell people, even with clients, don't wait to balance your energy when it's an emergency, so to speak, you know, like even for ourselves as practitioners, we shouldn't just think we run to Reiki when we are feeling bad or when something happens or when things are off. If we maintain a consistent practice, even when life throws challenges at us, we become more resilient and able to deal with and cope with things in a, we'll say, an elevated state because we are contributing to the um, circulation of energy through our bodies and our beings in a more consistent way. So I think that, you know, getting regular attunements um, can be very helpful and supportive to our flow of energy, to our practice, to our maintaining our own clarity and harmony. Um, But then, you know, there are some people who believe that you only need your attunements one time and you never have to do it again. It depends on who you talk to. I personally um, do like um, getting attunements, not, I'm I'm not talking every day, but, you know, uh, one of the lineages that I've studied in um, the teachers would invite students back to get attunements at least once a month. And that I believe is a beautiful offering. Okay, last question. I'm new to Reiki. How can I determine which Reiki lineage suits me best? As I've mentioned, I have studied with many different teachers and with different lineages. And um it really wasn't to see what lineage suited me best as much as back then I was just curious and I didn't quite understand why there were so many different, you know, schools of thought around Reiki. But what I can tell you now after studying um, different lineages, I think it really depends on what matters most to you in the practice of Reiki, like why you want to connect with this anyway. And the reason I say that is because different lineages or even just different teachers may have different points of focus. For everyone, I think it is very helpful to learn um, a more traditional method just so you have more understanding of the roots, the foundation, and um, just have more clarity around the intent of the technique because a lot of that has become, you know, kind of confused in some ways. But then certain people combine Reiki or teach Reiki in ways that are very specific to other areas of interest. And so I think that's a very personal thing. Um, The best thing you can do is research the different lineages, see what their points of focus are, see what the teacher um, uh, 
provides as you know material, what are the topics that are covered? What do they focus on? And then see if that resonates with you and your path and what you feel called to learn. That's really the best thing. It's it's very personal and you have to do your research. So I think um, no one can really tell you which lineage will suit you best other than you. And if you uh, do some research and you read about different teachers and what they focus on, email the teacher. That's always you know a good recommendation and ask them directly any questions you may have around what they teach. You can even ask who they've trained with so you may have more understanding about the potential of what it is that you may learn. Um, also, some teachers will gladly have maybe a short meeting or conversation with you. So you can even just feel like if you resonate with them. The other thing is, is that just because you learn from one person doesn't mean that's locked in stone. I mean, I'm evidence of that. <laughs> several um, teachers, several of my teachers had several teachers. So, you know, no matter where you start, you never know what that may open you up to. And you may decide over time, you may even study with um, several teachers just to expand your own learning and understanding and possibility. So I don't think you can necessarily start at the wrong place, but definitely research and see what feels most resonant for you. Oh, gosh. So that is it. I went through all of the questions that were submitted, beautiful practitioners. I hope that this was helpful. Again, no matter what questions you may have, there are so many interviews and wonderful conversations within the summit. So you still, of course, can purchase a ticket and get access to all of the interviews. Watch them at your own pace. Have a notebook ready so that you can take notes. And um, yeah, I hope you're enjoying the summit. Thank you so much for being here. See you all soon. Bye for now.